The title of my brief talk this morning, I'm going to try and make it brief as I can, uh, is The Rocky Road Towards Glory, which is a funny sort of title, but it was what crossed my mind when um, I thought of today being Palm Sunday, and then just thinking when, what Jesus went through in that lead-up to what we've just celebrated with the breaking of bread in front of us. It was a sort of joyful acclamation that Jesus received when he entered Jerusalem triumphantly on that colt or ass, whatever we think it might be. And people were absolutely gobsmacked with the glory of this wonderful person who they believed was coming in to be the Messiah, the saviour of Israel at that time. And indeed he was. But of course they wanted it to happen in another way. And so in that week, so many different things occurred. Jesus entered that time knowing that... That wasn't me, I can assure you. Knowing that there was going to be people's acclamation but also knowing in his heart that Judas had betrayed him and so he demonstrated in the Passover meal just prior to his um, time under arrest he demonstrated his servanthood by humbly washing his servant's feet and then he went out from that place to Gethsemane where he agonised over the things that he was going to face. Glory one minute, agony the next. And then they moved on from there, and Jesus talked with those disciples who couldn't stay with him in prayer, who fell asleep. And then Judas came in leading the temple guards, and betrayed him with a kiss. A friend kissed him. And the result of that was he was led away and put under arrest, falsely accused. And then Peter, one of his closest associates, denied ever knowing him. Glory, agony, denial, and then he faced scourging and the baying of the crowd. The crowd that had once welcomed him was now asking for his blood. And then he was crucified amongst criminals. And he died. And he died in your place and in my place. In order that we might know life. And he rose triumphant. Now, if that's not a rocky road, I don't know what is. The road towards glory, the glory that Jesus had, wasn't easy. And it's not easy for us either. It's riddled with obstacles, with disappointments, challenges. And yet Jesus faced it willingly. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy of going through what he went through. Jesus was not provided with an easy ride towards glory. And neither are we promised, nor should we expect our lives to uh, be lived in consummate ease. It's not easy to be a Christian if you do it faithfully. Yet we read, and if I could have the next slide please, we read, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. We are being changed by what Jesus did. God's presence within us causes us, us to reflect his glory. And in so doing, we become increasingly like him. Now, how does his glory reveal itself in us? We look around and we look at one another and we think, well, they're nice people, but we don't usually think of them in terms of glory or being glorious. So how does that glory reveal itself in us? Now last year I, I touched upon what happens to us when we actually get saved. And I make no apology for repeating it this morning because I think it's key to our understanding of how we are seen uh, as being transformed into his glory, into his image. Now, similar to the oneness that there is in the Godhead, the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, so I think there is a, a triple part of our being. I choose to believe that we are, are divided into three major characteristics. Body, physical part of us, our looks, our arms, our shape, whatever it might be. Our soul, which is our mind, our will and our emotions. Now that's the hidden part of us. That's the bit that nobody else can actually see, but they can detect it by the way in which we behave, etc. Mind, body, separate, soul, mind, will and emotions. And then finally, the third part of our being I see as spirit. Spirit. Now the spirit within us is the eternal part. It's the bit that doesn't die. Now can you understand that bit? And so, when we consider those three aspects, we can understand body, we can understand our, our feelings, our mind, our will, our emotions to a certain extent, but we don't always understand our spirit. But, for those of you that perhaps have seen a loved one die, and you see their body before you, maybe somebody you've loved really deeply. Something has changed. Something tangible is different. Yes, you recognize them. Yes, they cannot display any characteristics any longer of their mind, will or emotions, but their spirit has disappeared. Something 
has gone from them. And we all know why, because it's gone on into eternity. So what really happens when we're born again? It's only our spirit that's saved. Our body and our mind and emotions are unaffected at first, particularly. That is until the Holy Spirit starts to work on our lives and perhaps change some of those undesirable bits of us into something which is more like Jesus. But initially, that doesn't change. It's our spirit that's transformed because God's spirit enters us, lives within us, and takes over that eternal part of us. So, if you had dislikes before you were saved, you're likely to have the same dislikes after you're saved. If you don't like kippers before, you won't like kippers afterwards. And if you, be, if you were uh, irritated by people who talk too much before you're saved, you're likely to be just as irritated by people who talk too much afterwards. Although you might gradually become more amenable to them as God's Spirit works on you. So, it's only our spirit that changes at the moment of conversion. The moment our spirit becomes, at that point, the spirit of Jesus Christ, living within us. Jesus, from that moment, dwells in our spirit, and we become a new creature. Don't always realise it, but we are a new creature. Could I have the next slide, please? How do we know these things? Well, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. In fact, he's paid it for us. That crucifixion which belonged to us, Jesus paid on our, on our behalf. And I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And furthermore, the Old Testament had this same sort of concept when uh, in... Uh, in Ezekiel we read, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. So what does all this mean? It means just what it says. We've got the spirit of Jesus living inside us. We may not feel that's the case, but God's word doesn't deceive. God's word cannot be other than true. And uh, we all know that it's in scripture. And all scripture's there to inspire us, to teach us. Now, we know that Jesus didn't sin. And he was perfect. And if he wasn't perfect in his living, then he would have failed in his mission and we wouldn't be saved today. And even though Jesus did not sin, we know only too easily that we can still sin. We can. And you've probably all done it. Same as I have. So what part of us sins? It can't be the spirit, the spirit within us, because Jesus dwells there and Jesus can't sin. We've got all the fullness of the Godhead within us. So clearly it's our old nature that sins. 
And Paul even talks about this, uh, I forget where it was, in, in Romans 7, I think it is. You know, wretched man that I am. I do the very thing I don't want to do. And the very thing I want to do, I cannot do. But then he goes off into Romans 8, 1. It says, but there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wonderful. So, if it's not the spirit that sins, it must be the other part that sins. The old nature that is still alive within us. But at the moment, we want Jesus to take control of that old life and to start to change us more and more into his likeness and the likeness of his character. So what part of us is eternal and what part of us goes to heaven? It's a spirit. We know the body dies. We know jolly well that it, 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 I look at my own body and it's not what it was 60 years ago. I'm ashamed to say. But on the other hand, I'm going the way of all men. We all decay and die. Just like a seed that drops into the ground, decays and dies, but out of it grows something beautiful. And although the old, the old person, the old body goes, what will be resurrected is your spirit in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God in heaven. So what do I conclude from this? Well, once we are saved, our spirit is perfect. It has all the fullness of God within it. It cannot sin and is eternal, impervious to the attacks of Satan, having already obtained the victory that's in Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. God considers you have. So all that Satan can influence now is our bodies and our minds. That's all he can attack. He cannot touch your spirit. So it doesn't matter a jot what you feel like or whether you failed or did something wrong. Your spirit is perfect and will go to heaven because God guarantees it. We are already forgiven and will remain forgiven. Now, doesn't that get you excited? It does me. The spirit, our spirit is sealed by God forever and it's his guarantee guarantee next slide please and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit that lives within yours you will lives within you now who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance can't be you know what guarantees and we all love guarantees with stuff that we, we, we purchase until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory and again it reads now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ he anointed us set a seal of ownership on us put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come now here when he mentions in our hearts he's not talking about the physical heart he's talking about in our character and therefore in our uh, moving from our character into our spirit so that seal that seal that God has put within you by by a very act of him dying on the cross 
can only be broken, can only be broken by the deliberate and willful renunciation of our salvation provided for us through the blood of Jesus. Now what do I mean by that? Well I can only find two things in the Bible that suggests are unforgivable. And the first we find in Hebrews 10, verse 26 and 29, and that's apostasy. The willful and deliberate rejection of Christ and the renouncing of the gospel having once uh, accepted Jesus and been part of the Christian faith. A willful renunciation of Christ. And in Mark 3, uh, 28, it talks about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that are such that they cannot be completely forgiven. So I can't believe any of us would ever attempt to do either of those two things. So having settled that, and knowing we are completely forgiven, no matter how far we've astrayed or wandered, how badly we've messed up, it gives us confidence to face any trial or behaviour that attempts to rob us of our peace. However, God doesn't intend that we continue sinning in our minds and in our bodies. We become more and more like Jesus when we choose his direction for our behaviour by allowing him to rule in our whole being, including our minds, our will and our emotions, and thus our actions, because our body follows what our mind tells it to do. The presence of God's Spirit within us is there to influence this new behaviour, to transform our whole being, uh, to become more and more like him, and to start to move from one degree uh, of glory to another. So it becomes vitally important that we allow ourselves to be guided by that Holy Spirit that's within us. Now here's the crux of what I want you to receive today. And I quote uh, Dave Mansell here, he said, let's start doubting our doubts. We all have things that cause us questions. We all have things that say, I don't know how I receive that, I don't really understand what it's all about. But here's an encouragement to start doubting your doubts. As I said earlier, you may not feel that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, but let me remind you of the way you really feel when you know that you've done something that God disapproves of. Don't you feel wretched? Don't you feel awful when you know that you've done something badly wrong? You, 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 your being just craves forgiveness craves getting before God and saying I'm sorry Lord and your joy and your peace has been dampened and you need to confess that and find his forgiveness so that your peace is restored now would this be the case would this be the case if the spirit of God wasn't in you I suggest it wouldn't, because I think when you were, were living prior to knowing Jesus, you did your own thing. And even when you did something wrong, it didn't bother you much. But now you know the Lord, there's something within you that says that was wrong, and you need to put that right.
So the Holy Spirit is within us and he is prompting us through our consciences. He gets through from spirit to mind and he starts reminding us of these things. And we've only got to look at uh, David's remorse after Nathan the prophet um, revealed to him the fact that he'd not only been guilty of sleeping with another man's wife, but he also arranged his early death in order to try and cover up his appalling actions. And this is David's prayer when he realises his error. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You don't delight in sacrifice or I'll bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, O God, will not despise. You know, the old us may well want to harbour feelings of resentment and against those who may have done something that we disapprove of. You may want to get your own back uh, to a hurtful remark they may have made to you or about you. But is this what Jesus would have done? How much better to recognise that God still has a work to do in our lives and to pray God's blessing. Not on what they've done to us, but upon them. Chrissy often talks about praying a blessing on those that are causing you distress. It changes things. It changes things. I think I've told you this probably many times before. I, I went on a seminar once in, when we lived in America. And the graduation medal badge that we got uh, had these letters printed on it. PBP, G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Which many of you may know, because I've told you before. But it says, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And he isn't. He's working in each of us as we walk with him. How much better not to retaliate to hurts, but to choose to silently forgive those that wrong us, just as God has forgiven us. Even to think, how can I bless this individual? Isn't this behaving as Jesus would behave? Isn't this becoming more like Jesus himself? Isn't this perhaps reflecting something of his glory? and in some small way revealing something of living as part of his kingdom. I really believe that the way to greater fulfilment in your Christian walk is not to allow that old nature to sur surface and to rush, rush into hasty reactions or responses, but to pause, just pause, take a breath, and just ask yourself, what would Jesus have done here? helps enormously you know especially in those things where you can feel yourself getting steamed up about something 
Similarly, if it's you that's caused the offence, don't just ignore it and hope it'll go away. Put the matter right. Ask their forgiveness. They may not even respond in the way that you would like, but at least you've followed the rule that God gives us on how to behave. It says if you're in Matthew 18, if your brother or sister sins, point out their fault just between the two of you. Note that, just between the two of you. Don't go and talk to somebody else about what has gone on. Talk to them about it. That's the only way to put it right correctly. Otherwise you're gossiping. And we all know what gossip, that we think of gossips, don't we? Uh, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals the matter. Proverbs 11. Even allowing yourselves to listen to gossip is wrong too. And these are just some of the ways that we can start to become more and more like Jesus. Allowing the Holy Spirit within you to direct your words and direct your actions. And that is what I believe, what I believe is moving on from one degree of glory to another. Yes, there are rocks in the way. There are setbacks, there are challenges. But you're moving towards what God intended you to be. I can recall an old chorus some of you may know this. Jesus, you're changing me. By your spirit, you're making me like you. Jesus, you're transforming me. That your loveliness may be seen in all I do. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. Jesus, you are changing me as I let you reign supreme within my heart. One more, please. But let God's word conclude here. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all in God's process of sanctification which I think is what it means making us more like Jesus. He promises to be with us through every situation. The going may be rocky, but the outcome, as it was for Jesus, is glorious. Are you willing to work with him on the journey? Just think about it. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad that you never give up on us. No matter how we might stray, no matter how many times we may let you down, you're always there for us. You're always ready to forgive. You're always ready to cleanse us with that wonderful, wonderful blood that you sacrificed on our behalf.
to make us righteous once more in your sight. And for that, Lord, we just say thank you. We know that we can give nothing in return, but Lord, you own us. Your spirit is within us. And Father, we want to see you glorified in our living and in our behaviour. Have your way in me, Lord. Have your way in me, please. Amen. I'm sorry it's rather late, but we did start a little bit later today. <laughs>